What's up, guys? It is We Talk Sports. I am your host, Brett Pinelli, and Griffin Bauer, Ryan Horst. Today, uh, we're just going to continue some of the off-season stuff for the NFL, and we got a few NBA, um, some NBA news as well. Uh, first up, Jalen Ramsey uh, is most likely going to be traded in the next week, and we just wanted to discuss some uh, potential landing spots for him. So, Ryan, would you want to go first for this? Yeah, sure. I'll go first. Um, I don't really have a definite answer on this one yet, like a set team to really say that he's going to go to. I don't know. I I have like an idea of what kind of team's going to pursue him, and I would say it's going to be a desperate contender that's going to just dump a bunch of picks and take on a huge contract. Like when you phrase it like that, it obviously doesn't sound ideal, but I honestly think that's the case. Yeah, it's a great. He's a great player, though. But it's just like he's a great. He's a great player, but. No longer is he completely distinct from some other corners in this league in terms of talent. Exactly. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Just I don't I don't really know what team is willing to do that as of this point. I know he will be traded. I know a team will, but I don't have a set answer on who is going to be willing to do that. I don't really know. Yeah, I, I, I've seen a lot of people, you know, kind of put the Eagles into that conversation, and I just do not see that. You know, the Eagles in this offseason – a lot of unanswered questions in terms of cap. You know, they have the situation with Jalen Hurts. Are they going to re-sign him this offseason off to a massive deal? Or um, are they going to put some money into Miles Sanders? Most likely not. Like Darner Johnson, other things like that. We have a lot of different things to worry about. Do they really want to bring in this cornerback with a massive contract on top of that? Yes, we need a cornerback with Bradbury most likely gone. But I just don't think Jalen Ramsey's the right answer for that. Um, and just like you, I don't really know where Jalen Ramsey will probably go. Like it's just such a massive hit on your cap. And it's for a guy that's older. He's way out of his prime. He's still a very good corner, but I just don't think it's worth the cap and the giving away of draft picks for that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean I think there are a few places I could think of off the top of my head. I think one of them is not necessarily the description that you had, Ryan. I think the Lions could be a landing spot for him. I know um Brett Pinelli's brother, Nick Pinelli, who uh, unfortunately could not make it uh, for the beginning <laughs> of this podcast, said that as well. And I think it, you know, it's a good place. Um, keep in mind, the Lions still have the sixth pick in the draft, which is the Rams pick. So maybe they want to trade it back. I mean, at that point, they're already going to be looking for defense at sixth anyway. I think for them, they just have to decide, is it worth it to go for? Although he's a great corner, you're missing out on, you know, some potentially great defensive players at the top of the draft. Um, but if I were to pick right now, I think I would pick the Lions. Um, it seems to make the most sense. But there are other teams out there who, you know, maybe just need one more really strong defensive piece to get over that. I don't group. even think I don't even think any team needs needs to give up a high first round pick. Like a lot of people were saying, the Eagles only needed to send their thirty first pick to get them, most likely, huh. which is probably what it would take. You know, they're trying to get rid of that cap. Um, so I, I couldn't. Really I have a little an bit answer. of breaking news coming in here. Okay. Did you guys hear about uh, Ja Morant today? No, what happened? The memes are about to be crazy because we all know he's been called Thug Morant lately with all those jokes about him and stuff. Yeah, what happened? Well, the, the lore, it just continues to grow. Oh, um, we'll probably oh, just move into the NBA now just, anyways. We're about it, to get into the It's just being reported stuff. that uh, I just ja Morant up. is being accused of allegedly beating up a 17-year-old boy and pointing a gun at him after his mom had an argument at finish line. I'm not sure what that is. 
Then it's why it's a shoe store, basically. Okay. So like a mall shoe store. Wow. Beat up a 17-year-old and pointed a Jesus. gun at him. Oh, my God. Dude's ruining his career. Like, he's in the NBA. I remember Shannon Sharp said something perfectly, summing up, you know, like, you're in the NBA. Stop trying to act like that. Like, you're just ruining yourself. Like, you're just trying to look well, cool. You're, you're surrounding yourself mm-hmm. with people that you don't want to surround yourself with, and it's all for an ego boost, and he's just ruining his career. He's so talented. Um, that's crazy. Pointed a wow. gun at him. That's yeah, I'm trying thing. to look up more situation right now trying to see some more details i mean i'm gonna look some stuff right now apparently you know his mom called john morant john morant's mother called him um and said that she was in an altercation a verbal confrontation with this 17 year old boy who was apparently drunk um i mean i don't really see anything else about it john morant Showed up to John Morant showed up to the mall with a group of nine people. The seventeen-year-old, and apparently the the extent to which the seventeen-year-old was harassing his mother was just verbal. There was nothing physical. So I understand John Morant wanting to show up to defend his mother, but does he really have to go with a group of nine people and a gun? It says on Yahoo Sports, in the incident involving the teenage boy, the 17-year-old reportedly told police Morant punched him 12 or 13 times during a pickup basketball game at the point guard's house. He claimed Morant and a friend hit him so hard it left a large knot on the side of his head. Police observed themselves. Like, that, that is just crazy. That's and absurd. he swung first, too, apparently. Well, I think this could lead into a question here. Like, how do you guys think this is going to affect his career? Like, moving forward, obviously... Like, do you think he's going to be suspended? Do you think anything's going to happen? So apparently, this happened last summer. Yeah, it was last year. Oh, yeah. actually, just coming out. I'm not sure whether that changes anything. Maybe the NBA already knew about it. Maybe they didn't. Um, but I feel like this has to warrant at least an investigation, right? I mean, I agree. like, I, I, some of the people are actually a lot of like. I didn't expect to see this, but a lot of consensus seems to be on Morant's side, at least in the comment section on this one post I'm, I'm looking at. I'm not mm-hmm. sure how that'll change as the news continues to be spread across different media outlets. But a lot of the people are saying he was defending his mother. Obviously, I don't completely agree with them because he went way too far. But if it is true and that is the extent to which he went, I could see, you know, I could see a hefty suspension, maybe 12 to 15 games. Okay. I, don't think, I don't think his career is in jeopardy. By any means, we've seen we've seen Gilbert Arenas literally take a gun <laughs> to the locker room and be playing again the next year. Yeah. So, I mean, there's going to be a suspension. I don't know how long it'll be, but I think it's I don't think his career is necessarily in jeopardy. Yeah. No, I don't think so. I mean, obviously, he's probably uh, should stop doing things like this. Um, you no, know, it's not the great idea to go around punching seventeen year olds. Um, and I mean, the problem is like, is, is something like this going to change? It, obviously, he has a track record of it. Um, but hopefully he realizes that it's not worth his time. He's a great basketball player and that he doesn't need to be doing things like this. He needs to get out of that. The people he surrounds himself with, it's just getting him into drama and trouble. Like he's so talented, one of the most athletic players in the league. He's got a bright future. If he keeps doing stuff like this, it's not going to end well. Like He could be out of the league in a couple of years. And that's if he keeps doing this stuff. But hopefully everything works out for the best. Um, so now we're going to be moving on. 
So LeBron James uh, has a foot injury, and he, I believe, is out for about two weeks, um, a little, maybe a little longer than that. Do you guys mm-hmm. think that the Lakers can continue to win games without LeBron and make it into the playoffs, or do you think they're going to miss it without LeBron? Uh, Griff, I'll let you go first on this one. I was pulling up some things here. One sec. Sure, yeah, I was pulling up some stuff earlier, doing some research. I'd for, for, first like to start off saying uh, this season – LeBron has missed 15 games already, and they're 5-10 and 10 without him. I thought that was an interesting stat. Um, and in the games that they won, most of them were fairly close. Um, I mean, I, I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. LeBron James is, you know, arguably the greatest player of all time. You know, now he's the leading scorer. Um, and this season, he's having an immaculate season. I mean, throughout his regular season, he's, I, I looked up the stat earlier, he's averaged 27 points a game. And this season, he's averaging 29. So he is and it has over 50% total scoring for the Lakers this season. Um, so he's doing a lot for them. And I think without him there, there's just no chance. I mean, they have pieces. You know, D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Davis can only do so much, though. Um, and besides them, there aren't really a ton of solid pieces. Um, and besides those two guys, there aren't really a ton of scores on that team. And obviously, LeBron does a lot for them. I just, I mean, they don't even really have the greatest record right now. It would still take, like, consistent... Yeah. Winning yeah, every the other game. They're right below yeah, the sixth seed. Yes. Right below 500. Um, and they they're do not right below the sixth seed. They're the 12th seed. Are they the 12th yeah, seed? Yeah, they're, they're 29 and 33. They are not, they're not the sixth seed. They're, they're um, yeah, they're the 12th seed. So that kind of leads into what I was going to say. Um, I was looking at the Lakers' schedule a little bit over these next couple weeks, and it looks manageable. So I think the Lakers are going to weather the storm over these next couple weeks and, you know, play, like, around a 500 mark. But but that's not what they need. They needed to, like, kind of really be cohesive with this new roster, get it together, and start winning, like, being multiple games above 500. Instead, I think they are going to be 500, which is going to leave them right around where they are right now, about one game out of the play-in. So when LeBron comes back, I mean, I think the Lakers are going to stay in the hunt for the play-in while he's gone. Um, but, like, again, is that really that big of a deal at that point? You're not really going to do anything from, from an 8 or a 7 seed in the loaded West this year. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I think, they, I think they definitely can still earn a play-in spot, especially with Jared Vanderbilt playing really well and kind of, you know, this new roster finding some of its groove. But I don't think it's going to be enough to make any noise. And also, I'd like to correct myself. Um, I, I saw a report like about a week ago that you know the Lakers are pretty close. You know they're not far behind. It is a pretty close race from the eight seed, seven seed to the um, twelve, even thirteen seed. Like it's pretty even. Um, and they're saying how the Lakers have been, you know, getting gaining some momentum through um, with the trade with Vanderbilt playing so good and having D'Lo. And um, I was thinking they're right below the six seed, but. I don't think their season's over yet without LeBron. Seeing how well Vanderbilt has been playing, which I wish the Sixers got him. He is just so good. Uh, and having D'Lo, I don't think they're going to shut down. Do I think they're going to make the playoffs? It's 50-50. I really hope they do. I think this team can contend a like a bit. Probably not much, like, considering how great the West is. But I do think they can win... a. You know, put up a fight in the playoffs, and I would like to see them in it. And I'm gonna do a toss up if they're gonna even uh, get there, even with even with the LeBron uh, being out for two weeks. I think it's fifty fifty. So we'll see. 
So, any any other thoughts on that? Hmm. I mean, if I were to just have to give a prediction, just uh, hmm. I don't know. It's tough. I'm gonna say no. Um, just because <laughs> you know this Lakers team for the last few years now has had such high expectations, and with LeBron there, even if he's not playing at the level he is now, he's still LeBron. He's still scoring. They haven't been able to get things done. Obviously, this team is different. More pieces, players like Brian mentioned, Jared Vanderbilt playing better, and D'Angelo Russell coming in. I think LeBron has a lot to do with this team getting into its groove, and without him, it could be a mess. So we'll have to see. We'll have to keep an update on that, maybe check back in next week, and maybe yeah. Yeah, my prediction would change. I'd hope so, because I'd like to see LeBron in the playoffs. You know, I was hearing a report that Anthony Davis was listening to this podcast, and that he felt a little disrespected by your comments. So, and, look. Anthony Davis, I'm sorry. Um, maybe if we weren't wearing street clothes, we could uh, go at it on the court. Um, I don't think I... he was listening to the podcast. He hurt his ears trying to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he probably hurt uh, his fingers trying to open Discord. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. So, um, we're going to move on to um, NCAA football. Uh, we're going to first rank our top five quarterback prospects going into this draft and who we think are is going to – we're going to do good this season or throughout their NFL career and kind of make a few predictions. Obviously, it's very early to do that, but just a little fun thing to do. Um, do any of you guys want to go first with your top five quarterbacks in this draft? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, at number five, I have Hendon Hooker, Tennessee. Um, I would have had him higher had he not gotten injured in November, torn his ACL. I'm always a bit hesitant to rate guys highly when they're coming off an ACL, especially a guy like Hooker who's kind of – Volatile. He's already 25 years old. Yeah. Um, that's another downside to, you know, kind of him as a prospect. I know Burrow was an older quarterback as well coming out of the college game, but obviously it was he was generational. Hooker's not quite on that level, so for him to be 25 is a major downside. Um, I'd expect him to go kind of mid-second round. There's a lot of quarterback needy teams this year, but I don't think anyone will reach on him in the first, given yeah. that he's 25 and with his injury. Um, so I'm going to put him at five. Okay. At number four, I have Will Levis. Um, I know a lot of people are either really high or really low on him. Uh, I'm kind of in the middle. Like I'm not going to put him at number one or two, like a lot of people who are high on him, but I'm not going to put him outside of the top five, like a lot of people who are low on him. Do I think he has the potential to be really good, yes, but I also see a high potential for him to just bust. Um, uh, for sure. I, yeah, I just, uh, <laughs> I could just see him not exactly panning out as a team who takes him would hope so. I was super high on him going into this year, um, this college football season. I thought he would be the number one quarterback taken in this draft, which he still could be, but in my eyes, he doesn't deserve to be. He just had an abysmal season. I mean, he lost to Vanderbilt. I think that was Vanderbilt's first SEC win in maybe five years. I mean, he was supposed to be so much better, and he just didn't live up to any of those expectations. And for that reason, I'm going to put him at number four. At number three, I have Bryce Young. Um, honestly, interesting. Honestly, I mean, just, just looking, at, looking at him as a prospect, he should be number one, right? If you just watch his film, he passes the eye test more than any other quarterback in this draft class. Um, what he can do in the pocket, his escapability, his, you know, his reading of the defense, 
all just very good. But again, there's just a couple concerns that knocked him down the list for me. Um, first being, he's an Alabama quarterback. <laughs> and I don't think we've ever seen a successful, and by successful I mean elite franchise quarterback, I don't think we've ever seen a successful Alabama quarterback before. Joe Namath? You really, if anyone ever tries to say Joe Namath, he played in the 60s, first of all. Second of all, he had more... What? I think he was a fantastic quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're just if anyone that. ever tries to say that to me, I'll just laugh them off. Because, <laughs> first of all, he literally played 60 years ago. Literally 60 years ago. Second of all, he had more interceptions than touchdowns in his NFL career. And ever since Joe Namath, we haven't had a Super Bowl winning Alabama quarterback. We haven't had an MVP quarterback from Alabama. We just... Alabama has great college quarterbacks every year. That's a product of Nick Saban. That's a product of the legendary coaches and recruiting they've had for decades. Um, They're going to have Heisman winners. They're going to have national champions. But that's about all you get out of Alabama quarterbacks. Once they hit the league, they no longer have those elite offensive lines. Um, They're facing way more adversity than they did in college. And they don't have the elite group of receivers anymore. Um, I just think that combined with... Right. <laughs> I just think that combined. <laughs> I just think that combined with Bryce Bryce Young being five ten is just ultimately why I have him at number three. I just don't see him being anything better than good. For number two, um, Anthony Richardson, and I right. really wanted to put him at number one. I really wanted to. I think he is going to be a stud in this league. I think he's a prototype of Lamar Jackson, Mike Vick, you know. He's the next one of those guys to come through this league. I don't even think he needs... A lot of people are saying he needs to sit out a year, but... I think he does. I don't think he does. I'll get into that. I don't think he does. I think he needs experience. He only started for one year at Florida, one full season. Um, You know, he doesn't have, or at least he didn't have at Florida, a great offense around him. He never had a great team. And, you know, just watching his tape, he can do some incredible things that I don't think anyone else in this class can pull off. Obviously, he can make some really stupid mistakes. And we saw a lot of that from him at Florida. But I think that's so easy to fix with a good coach and a good offensive coordinator. And even just a good veteran backup quarterback. I just think that Anthony Richardson is going to be really good. Um, And I do think that NFL teams realize the same thing. I think he'll be a top 10 pick. Number one, CJ Stroud. Um, If CJ Stroud didn't play that game against Georgia, if Ohio State was left out of the playoffs, then I think he would be my number three quarterback. That one game improved his stock so much um, simply because we just saw things that he's never done before. Um, One of the main knocks on Stroud before that game was that he didn't have the heart, right? We didn't mm-hmm. see him. I saw a nice breakdown of this before the Georgia game. It was a couple days before New Year's Eve. Um, I saw a nice breakdown of film on him. And it was comparing C.J. Stroud college film to Peyton Manning college film. They're oh. obviously very similar quarterbacks. Um, 
And the guy who was breaking down this film said, when you think of CJ Stroud and when you think of Peyton Manning, you don't think mobile. You think a guy that's going to be great in the pocket and make great throws, but you don't think of escapability or mobility. But he showed Peyton Manning's Tennessee film, and he said, this guy, he went out and he got yards on the ground when he needed to. And we never saw that from CJ Stroud. He looked scared to run, scared to get those dirty yards in the pocket, or just charging forward through linebackers. So I I kind of agreed with him. I saw that as a knock against Stroud. Is he going to be a winner? I didn't think so. But then I saw the Georgia game, and I saw him doing all of those things that people said he couldn't do. And in my opinion, that was the best quarterback performance of the college football season, power five at least. Okay. I was just enamored by what I saw with, with, with Stroud. And I know Ohio State quarterbacks also haven't been the best historically, but I think he will break the curse. And that's why I have CJ Stroud as my number one quarterback prospect. Mm. I, really, right, uh, I, I like that. Um, do you want to go, Griffin, or do you want me to go? It's up to you. Yeah, yeah. Sure, I'll, I'll go ahead. Okay. Um, my list is a bit different. I, I, I agree with you on some points. I disagree on some points. Uh, to start off, I'm actually not going to go with Hendon Hooker. I'm going to put Tanner McKee in that fifth spot. Um, he, he's always, I feel like he's been a solid quarterback. He's not going first round. I mean, maybe second round, probably second or third round. Um, it, it's tough to evaluate him, but I mean, I don't, obviously, I don't really know that much about him either. I'm more focused on really the top four quarterbacks. Um, but I just, compare, comparing the two, um, you know, Hendon Hooker with his injury and the fact that he's 25. Um, doesn't really put him in great standing um, to be drafted, although he will be drafted and he could be very good in the NFL. I just, if I were, if I were drafting, I would pick Tanner McKee over Hendon Hooker. Um, a number four, I'm going to have Will Levis as well. Um, he, he's definitely a project, not as much of a project as uh, someone else I'll have a little higher up on this list. Um, but I still think he warrants even potentially a top 10 pick. Um, because, you know, I mean, he's one of the top four quarterbacks in this class. Quarterback is uh, a need for a few teams out there. Um, you know, he has the talent. It's just he, he needs to work on himself a bit. Um, moving on to number three, I'm going to have Anthony Richardson here. Um, it's, it's tough to not put him up. I was watching uh, a few weeks ago. I was incredibly bored laying in my bed, and I turned on some Anthony Richardson film, some breakdown, and um, I really liked what I saw for the most part, except, you know, he does have – some pretty big cons. Um, mainly his accuracy is a big one. Um, and that obviously is not going to really work too well in the NFL. It's also um, his ball. I'm looking at something right now with pros and cons, but I do remember seeing this in the film that um, he tends to fail on deep balls. Um, again, something you can't really have in the NFL. But his upside is the highest out of any quarterback in this draft class. I just don't think he is worth one of the top two quarterback picks because I don't think he can go in there and start immediately. I mean, I think he could do it, and I think he could potentially do just fine, but I think it would be better for him if he were to sit maybe like Patrick Mahomes, maybe not behind Alex Smith, but sit behind a quarterback, learn the system, learn the scheme, uh, you know, work on his mechanics, and he would be an absolute freak in the NFL. Um, I think he could be one of the top five quarterbacks at some point. He, he's very good, has a lot of potential. At number two, I have Bryce Young. Um, only reason I put Bryce Young over Anthony Richardson is just because I think he's more uh, NFL ready at this point than Anthony Richardson is. He's a bit smaller, you know. He's getting a lot of comparisons to oh, Kyler Murray, you know, he's short. Um, 
But, I mean, yes, there hasn't been a lot of success for Alabama quarterbacks. Um, I wouldn't – the only argument I'd have, it's not even a great argument, but Tua, obviously he's not, like, franchised. But, I mean, if he weren't to be injured, it's tough to say. He could be doing pretty good in the NFL if he wasn't getting concussed, like, every five seconds. Um, I think there's potential there for Bryce Young, and I think he's a very NFL-ready quarterback. And number one, I think – I don't even think this should be argued. It's tough because a lot of people have Bryce Young at one, but I think C.J. Stroud is the best mixture of potential, most NFL-ready. Um, you, know, you, you were making great comparisons, Ryan, between him and Peyton Manning. I also saw the same thing when I watched his film that they were mentioning that you know he's a pocket passer at heart, and he started to run more when he needs to. Um, the biggest knock um, that I had on him was um, reading the passes, reading throws. Um, I saw a lot of his film and noticed that um, he sometimes is very late on getting to open reads. Um, like, they'll be completely open, and he'll throw it just a little too late, and it either you know causes a uh, pass deflection or just uh, an inaccurate throw to the receiver. Um, but besides, like, those are things you can work on, and once you get to a different scheme, the NFL is a lot different. If you put in the work, you can. that's something that could easily be fixed. So. Um, so my list is very similar to Ryan's. Maybe uh, there's like a couple changes in there, so I'm not really going to go um, in depth with most of them. Uh, so first at number five is Hooker as well. Um, fantastic quarterback, incredible arm strength. And like Ryan said, the concerns there are with, with his ACL tear. A lot of guys don't really come back from that 100%. Can he do that? Can he come back and perform at a high level? We'll see. I can see him dropping second, third round, even even fourth. You never know. I, I don't probably not fourth, but we'll see. Uh, I won't be surprised if he drops a bit. But if you look at his stats before he got hurt, like he had twenty seven touchdowns, two interceptions, great numbers. He um, eighty nine point five best QBR rating in college football. He's a great player. Um, just great arm, arm talent, good accuracy, all around quarterback. It's just his injury, so we'll see where he lands on draft night. Won't be surprised if it's later, but. Now, number four, a lot of guys haven't really been, haven't really been talking about him, but Clayton Toon out of Houston. Uh, 40 mm. touchdowns, 10 interceptions. I was watching his tape, and I was blown away. Like, just his arm talent, he can run the ball. I believe he was Houston's leading rusher. This man trying to be different. I'm not. <laughs> you watch him. I'm telling you, he's going to be a surprise player out of this draft. Uh, great football IQ, good accuracy. He can be a bit inconsistent at times and make um, throws that will result in interceptions, but that's easily something he can fix as he continues to perform at a professional level. Do I think he's going to make an impact right away? No, he's going to probably be a backup for a year, maybe two, and let's say a guy gets hurt or something happens, just like how Prescott, when Romo got hurt, he went in there and did amazing things. I think Clayton can be that guy that he can be a great backup for 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 first few years and maybe even become a nice quarterback for a team down the line. Uh, so he's not gonna he's not gonna be a name you're gonna hear right away, but I'm telling you, I, I will not be surprised if he pops off later in his career. Um, number three, I have Bryce Young. A lot of the same points I'm gonna bring up that Ryan said. He's a smaller quarterback. I do love Kyler Murray, but you know it's just a bit inconsistent back there. It's just always nice to be a bigger guy. Um, he is probably he's one of the most talented quarterbacks in this draft, without a doubt. If, like, if you take out Anthony Richardson, he's probably the most talented quarterback in this draft. He makes amazing throws. 
But if something I also noticed when you're watching the tape, he's behind an incredible offensive line. He's always he's got a ton of time back there. And what I see is he's back there. He waits. He waits. He waits. He doesn't make a throw. Then he rolls out and he finds someone downfield making a spectacular throw. He's got all the time in the world. I just don't think that's going to translate well into the into the NFL. Um, great quarterback. I don't think he's going to do as great as people think he will. Uh, number two, Anthony Richardson. The most talented quarterback in this draft, in my opinion. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues with him. You know, he makes some poor decisions sometimes. He hasn't even been a full um, starter for a year um, in college football. Um, you know, he had 17 touchdowns, nine interceptions. I think, without a doubt, he has the highest highest ceiling out of any of these quarterbacks. And I know Ryan said he would like to see Anthony Richardson just you know go out there right away. I believe if he sits one year behind a great coaching staff and behind a solid veteran quarterback, I think that is the best thing for him. I think what is sitting going to do? Oh. What's the what's sitting going to do? I, I look at what Mahomes did. He sat behind Alex not, Mahomes was ultra talented coming out of college. So was Richardson, but Mahomes had 3 to 4 years of starting experience in college. That's true. Richardson has one. I, I you need just, to throw him in the mix right away. I just feel like if you throw him into the mix right away, he's going to get... I just don't think it's going to look good. You and need I, a great coach who's going to say, yeah, we're going to lose games. But you need that kind of coach that's going to throw him in the mix, mentor him. I just don't... I don't agree with the idea that he needs to sit because he has no experience. You're just going to withhold him from that experience one more year. And then when you finally do throw him into the mix in year two, it's going to be a dumpster fire because, again, he has no experience. He's had one year of starting football since he came out of high school. What's the difference of like of his second year and like his first year, like going in with no experience? Why would the difference of his second year? Second season, he'll be much better in his second season if he plays the first season. Is what I'm saying. Okay, let let me go into. I I think the perfect situation for him would be Seattle with Pete Carroll under Geno Smith. I think does does. I think it would be Seattle if Geno Smith leaves. Look, I think um, this is it. Just because they have Geno Smith doesn't mean he can't play. You know what they did with Jalen Hurts? Like, you know, they kind of just... You know, Smith's a free agent, my guy. He I know. Leave. But Pete Carroll was talked about, even if they draft a quarterback, they're 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 most likely going to shy... Like, they're not going to shy away from re-signing Geno Smith. Like, that's, just, like... That's, just, that's just smoke. That's just trying to convince teams that they're not going to draft a quarterback so they can surprise people on draft day. Okay. Okay. But hear me out. Let's say they have Geno Smith. Let's say they draft Anthony Richardson. Geno Smith is a good quarterback to mentor him. Uh, Pete Carroll's a fantastic coach. Doesn't mean Geno Smith's going to play the entire year. We can put Anthony Richardson in there every now and then. Let's say it's a blowout. Let's say we're getting blown out. Let's say Geno Smith gets hurt. Let's say Geno Smith is struggling. Put Anthony Richardson in. So he gets to play five snaps? No. If Geno Smith, you said if that's a blowout, so he gets to come in for one drive. Geno Smith is in there and he's shitting the bed. Put Anthony Richardson in. It, but what if he's not? Okay, that's fine. But then he doesn't get to play. That's just that's not going to work for Anthony Richardson, man. Like I just I can't wait until it's March first, twenty twenty four, and I can come back yeah. and say I told you so. And maybe Pete Carroll does the the Doug Peterson route with Carson Wentz. We drafted Jalen Hurts. We had Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz at the time we were like, oh, he's our franchise guy. No, they put they put Anthony Richardson in there. Um, they put Jalen Hurts in there randomly at times. Um, to kind of switch up the offense. Anthony Richardson is a very, very talented and athletic guy. Why not use him like like they did Jalen Hurts his rookie year? You never, you never know. But I think Seattle would be the perfect situation for him to learn, to grow as a player, to refine his skills, to gain IQ. Pete Carroll is one of the best coaches in the league. Uh, 
I think Seattle's the perfect situation for him, whether you think he – even if he plays right away, I think Seattle's perfect. Are they going to get that? They have the 20th pick? Probably not unless they trade up, but we'll see. Number one, C.J. Stroud. I think he's the safest, the safest option in this draft. So talented, great arm, 41 touchdowns, six interceptions, 3,688 yards, one of the best quarterbacks in college. You know, Ryan brought up that, you know, there hasn't really been a ton of Ohio State quarterbacks having success in the league. I will not be surprised if C.J. Stroud breaks that. You know, watching him play, so talented, um, throws balls exactly where they need to be. He, he's just great. I, I can't wait to see him play. Ryan kind of already touched upon everything, how he's how good he is. So I'm not really going to go into that as well. But, yeah, that's my top five list for quarterbacks. So now we'll move on to running backs. Ryan, you want to start? Sorry about that. Yeah, we'll start with running backs. Um, I think this running back class is one of the best we've seen in years. Um, I'll just get right into it. Number five, I have Sean Tucker out of Syracuse. You might know him from his post-game <laughs> performance. Whether uh, he says if he's pleased with his performance or not. Um, Hopefully he continues that in the NFL Sundays. I think he will. But anyways, um, reason I like this guy is because he's a dynamic rusher and receiver. He was Syracuse's main offensive weapon for two straight years, his sophomore and junior year. Um, I will admit that I'm not entirely well-versed on his tape. Still need to catch up a little bit before we do our mock draft. So I won't say too much more about him, but I am very impressed with what I've seen so far. He's a very strong runner. Are you... Would you say you are pleased with what you've seen? I will say I, I am pleased with what I've seen so far. Very strong runner. Only downside is sometimes his vision is a little bit lacking. But other than that, uh, very good running back. Number four, Zach Charbonnet out of UCLA. And I am a huge fan of this guy, not just you know in NFL draft terms, but also in fantasy football terms. Mm. This, guy, this guy is a great uh, pass catcher. He's going to be an absolute fiend in PPR leagues. <laughs> so he might start off in kind of like a Rashad White kind of role. You know, not getting many touches early in the year. Kind of being dominated by a lead. <laughs> Pause. You know, kind of just being, sitting behind the lead back. Um, but I think by the end of the year, the guy's going to be catching, you know, seven to eight passes a game. He's that kind of player. Really sharp route runner. Uh, I'm just impressed with what I've seen on tape, and I think he's going to, you know, kind of continue to be that impressive pass catcher. I could see him kind of, you know, filling that Rashad White kind of role late in the season for a team. Um, number three, and I absolutely love this guy. Um, I think he's a prototype of Tony Pollard. Uh, it's, I, and excuse me if I pronounce his name wrong. I was looking at clips earlier to try to get this down. Uh, I think it's Devon Achain. I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. He's out of Texas A&M. Going into this college football season, he was widely regarded as the second best running back uh, in the country. And we'll talk about the first best in a little bit. Um, I think he's, he's kind of being unfairly punished in terms of his draft stock because Texas A&M had such a bad season. His team's lack of success is kind of... Uh, impacting him a little bit. I've seen him as low as seven or eight on running back ranking lists. But if you watch this guy, he is just so fast. Again, out of the backfield, he's fast. Running routes, he's fast. No matter where you put him on the field, this guy is dynamic and he's a playmaker. 
Um, I think he's going to be extremely, extremely useful in the league. Again, kind of like a Tony Pollard. Um, the Cowboys line him up in the backfield, put him in the slot, use him on end arounds, use him on sweeps, use him on runs out of the backfield. So I think a chain can kind of serve that role right away for a team. Um, I think teams kind of saw how successful Pollard was this year, and they're going to try to kind of implement that with a similar type of player who doesn't have much of a workload. So I think a chain is a great running back. Number two, Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama. Again, I think the top two are pretty consensus. I would have liked to put a chain higher, but these guys are just in their own tier. So Jameer Gibbs obviously had a great career at Georgia Tech before he transferred to Alabama this year and had a great season. He's a fringe first-round guy. I wouldn't be surprised if the Eagles took him. I know the Eagles said whatever about Gainwell. I think that's just smoke to try to get teams that think they're not going to take a running back. I think they're looking at a running back late first, early second this year. And I think Jameer Gibbs is going to be that guy because the number one guy, Bijan Robinson, out of Texas, is already going to be off the board. And I don't really know how much I have to say about this guy. I'm sure you guys will comment on him further down the line. He should be consensus number one for everybody. That's all I'm going to say about him. All right. That sounds right. good. Griffin? I'll take it from here. Uh, my list is very similar. I have uh, four out of the five guys you have, just one different guy. Uh, starting at five, I have uh, Zach Charbonnet. Uh, pretty much the same things you were saying. Um, you know, he transferred from Michigan, and he had a great season at UCLA. Um, it's funny because looking at um, his scouting report, one of, apparently one of his problems is that he, at Michigan, he had trouble with dropping a lot of passes. Obviously, that's not the case now. Um, he's a much better runner now. He's a very physical runner. He's a bit bigger. I'm pretty sure he's like 6'1". Um, let, me, let me check up on that. Yeah, he's 6'1", 220, so he's a bit of a bigger running back. Um, he definitely could be a problem. If he can catch balls coming out of the backfield being 6'1", 220, that's a guy that can you know, push down, get, get a few yards, fight for, fight for yards. Um, besides that, pretty much everything you said, Ryan, is everything I was going to say. Uh, moving on. I don't know how to pronounce his name either. Devin, Akane, Devon, Achan. I don't, I don't know how to say it. Um, but the biggest thing about him is exactly what you said as well. He is wicked fast. Um, I think the biggest knock on him, besides being from Texas A&M, which had a very underwhelming season, is that, you know, uh, thankfully he's fast, but he's 5'9", 185. So, you know, he's not, he's not going to be your every down back, the guy that's just going to sit back there and pound for yards. Pound, sorry, pause. Um, but... You know, he's a guy that can beat you around the edge. He's a guy that can make you miss. He's a guy that, assuming he can catch the ball, I'm going to be honest, I'm not really sure. Um, Okay, yeah, he has solid, soft hands and is a decent threat out of the backfield as a receiver. Um, So I take Bro! What? First you said he pounds, and then he said he had solid, soft hands? NFLDraftBuzz.com is being a little sus today. Um... But yeah, overall, I think this guy could be really good. Um, maybe even a PPR menace as well. He's quick, and I think that's his biggest thing. I, obviously, I don't think he's an every down back. Um, for three, I have Tank Bigsby out of Auburn. Um, one guy you did not have on your list, Ryan. Um, he's been at the forefront, not, not one of the, like, the top running back, but he's been on a lot of people's minds for a while now. When he came in 2020, even I, I knew who he was. I was like, wow, this Tank Bigsby guy is pretty good. Um, he had 834 yards freshman year, 1,100 yards in uh, second year. 
Um, bit of an off, and not as well as he did in 2021 this year. He had right around 1,000 yards, 10 touchdowns. Um, receiver as well, 180 yards off 30 receptions. Um, he's, a, he's more of a physical runner, um, and he kind of runs up like upright sometimes, which uh, isn't going to be great for him in the NFL, but I think he has a lot of potential. Um, I think the top two, I'm pretty sure the two one are going to be exactly the same for all three of us. Um, I have Jameer Gibbs at two. Um, had an outstanding season with Alabama. He's very quick. He can catch. He can make people miss. He's pretty much everything you'd want in a running back um, at the NFL level. So um, and he doesn't really have that many weaknesses. Pass blocking, maybe. But I feel like a lot of running backs coming from college to the NFL, pass blocking is an area of concern. And number one, the, I dish could not be argued. It's B. John Robinson. He's probably the only running back that will go in the first round. Maybe one other. I'd be surprised. But, I mean, he is the running back prospect. Um, he's not going to go, you know, top 10. I really hope the Eagles don't take him at 10, although I would like to see him on the Eagles. Um, he's not, you know, like people are, like, feeding over him like Saquon Barkley. But he's an amazing running back, and he will be great for any team he plays for. Um, some knocks on him, which I'm reading at. I mean, apparently his speed is not elite. But um, obviously we see in the NFL that speed isn't everything. You have guys like Derrick Henry who are out there um, pounding defensive players. Um, sorry, I said it again. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't really think it's a question that B. John Robinson is number one. So right, Sounds good. Um, so number one for me for running back, you know, this is a very... Before, wait, wait, can I say something? Can I say something? Yeah. <laughs> Before Brett starts, I want to say I have a feeling this list is about to be blasphemous. <laughs> it's, it's not. Calm down. Uh, but it was a very, it was, it's very, it was a very, very, very hard list to grade and rate as um, it's a very, very talented and deep class for running backs. Uh, I'm actually going to go do it. A couple honorable mentions. Ty J Spears out of Tulane Green, very talented. And Zach Char, <coughs> yeah, Zach Charbonnet out of UCLA, B plus grade for me. I have him as my number six. But so now we're gonna out of the Tulane Green, he's good. I'm telling you. Uh, I said out of too late greed. <laughs> I'm just rating no players, man. Uh, number five, I'm going to go with Sean Tucker out of Syracuse. You know, he's a very good receiver, very, very smart runner. You know, he's a very elusive back because he's pretty hard to take down. I'm excited to see what he does in the league. Uh, do I think he's going to be like a number one guy? Maybe, probably not, but I think he's a very smart runner. And I think he can be a really pretty solid player in the league. Um, after that, I have Zach Evans uh, out of Ole Miss. Um, he is so fast. He's so athletic. Uh, I, I also think he could be a really nice uh, guy to have into a rotation of backs. Uh, Bro got replaced by a freshman. <laughs> okay. I, I, I think with NFL coaching, he'd be pretty damn good. I think he's very athletic. He's got a really, you know, really high ceiling, in my opinion. But... With the guys above this, it's a big jump in my opinion. So after that, I have Devon Achain as well. Very fast guy. He's very he's pretty small. Uh, I think he's the perfect guy. You know, maybe he could be like that Sproles type of guy. Catch passes out of the backfield. Um, you know, maybe run every now and then. Do I think he's something crazy? No, I think he's pretty damn good though. Uh, and another knock on him, he's a pretty poor pass blocker as he's very he's a very small guy so that could be a kind of a hit on him for nfl scouts as you know he can't really be on the field all the time but 
if you work him into a running back by committee, why not? Number two, Jameer Gibbs, very good receiver, very talented overall. Uh, I think you know you guys already went into him as well. Very, very talented, so he's my number two. And my number one, one of the best players in this draft offensively is Bijan Robinson. He, I was watching him and how he runs. He's such a patient runner. He doesn't just burst through like most running backs. He kind of waits for a hole to open up, and he just takes it. Kind of reminds me of like, of like a prime Le'Veon Bell. He's so talented, very hard to tackle. He can catch out of the backfield. He can do literally everything. He's going to be such a good player in the league. Um, and I wish the Eagles could take him, but that's not going to happen. He's going to be drafted. Yeah. But, yeah, Bijan Robinson, my number one player, my number one running back uh, in this draft. Now we're going to move on to wide receivers. Ryan, you want to start with that? Sure, I'll start with that. I'm glad that you acknowledged me and Griffin going into Jameer Gibbs. We really gave a deep analysis on him. Very deep. Uh, so, yeah, wide receivers. Number five, Tank Dell out of Houston. Uh, I'm just going to say the list, and then I'll give a little bit of a breakdown after. Number five, Tank Dell out of Houston. Number four, Josh Downs, UNC. Yeah! <laughs> number three, Zay Flowers out of Boston College. Ooh. Number two, Jordan Addison out of USC. And number one, Quinton Johnston out of TCU. He's so damn good. Now, now I, know what, I know what you must be thinking right now. Where is Jackson Smith and Jigba? What I'm saying. Well, Tough. He's that, really good. The answer to that question is that he is outside of my top five. I don't. Think, wow. I don't think he's going to be that good, guys. I said it. I don't think he's going to be that good in the league. Wow. He's, he's a slot release merchant. The one year that he he had an amazing season for Ohio State, it's because he was wide open all the time. Because opposing defenses had to cover Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, who, by the way, were two of the top three picks for rookie of the year offensively. So. I just don't think, I don't know, I, I feel weird doing this because going into this college football season, he was the consensus number one receiver and in many mock drafts a top five pick, but he's just not a top five receiver in this class to me right now. Hank Dell, um, honestly, I didn't really know too much about him until I started watching tape. The guy is just open. That's all I can say about him. Like, he's amazing. Running a streak, he's open. Running an out, he's open. Running a slant, he's open. It just doesn't really matter. Like, reminds me of AJ Brown a little bit, even though he doesn't have that size. I don't know. Uh, I just watched the film and I said I gotta put this guy in my top five. I mean, I looked at some mock drafts. He's going first, second round, so I think it's a spot he deserves to be in. Josh Downs, I've always been a huge fan of. Oh yeah, I think he's being slightly, slightly underrated. That's what I'm saying. He's very speedy. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Big plays this year. Oh, yeah, big plays. Uh, was Drake May's number one target. Absolutely. Was fed the ball a lot, so I just think that, you know. Oh, yeah. He is a, uh, he's a good option. Mm-hmm. Number three, I would go Zay Flowers, like I said. He didn't really have a quarterback this year. I'm not a big fan of Phil Yurkovic because he uh-huh. is a Notre Dame hater, and he is god-awful now, so... He was awful for Boston College, but say Flowers was elite, even with that quarterback play. I think he's going to be really good in the league. And then, number two, Jordan Addison, 2021, Bolitnikoff winner. Transferred from Pitt to USC. uh, Matched his production from Pitt at USC. Obviously, it wasn't too hard to do when he had Caleb Williams. But, you know, he just 
there's no reason to move him down if he's going to continue to put up those numbers. And then, yeah, I'm a huge fan. I heard Brett get a little bit excited. Huge fan of Quentin Johnston. <laughs> Guy is just a beast. He's uh, 6'5", 240, I think, 220. Um, around that kind of, you know, size. He is a jump ball receiver. He's a fast receiver. We saw it against Michigan in the semifinal. He had a breakaway 75-yard touchdown on kind of like a drag route, which isn't something he's known for. So he can really do a little bit of everything. I wouldn't be surprised if he's the first receiver off the board this year, and that's why I got him at number one. All right. Very interesting list you have there, Ryan. Mine is actually very similar. Um, and you'll see I do not have JSN on either. Um, my list goes as follows. I'll do the same way you did it, Ryan. I have Zay Flowers, Josh Downs, Jalen Hyatt, Jordan Addison, and Quentin Johnston. Um, Zay Flowers at five. Uh, you know, he's a great receiver. Obviously, he does not really have a team around in Boston College. Sucks. Um, only knocks on him. He's a bit small. Um, apparently, he had like nine drops this season, um, or maybe nine drops over his career. Uh, but that's that's and he he's a little smaller, has a smaller catch radius. Um, for uh, probably the steal of the entire draft, Josh Downs. Um, I think he has the potential to be the greatest slot receiver to ever exist. Just uh, a little biased. I am slightly biased. Um, no, in all seriousness, though, um, watching UNC football the entire year, which came out to be a bit of a train wreck at the end, um, Josh Downs was one of a very few people on that team who uh, was not a part of that train wreck simply because he did, like, everything for the receiving core. Um, you know, it was very often that Drake May would just sling it to Josh Downs. It was, like, in every possession kind of thing. Um, he did a lot for his offense. He's quick, great in the slot. He can catch the ball. He can run the open field. Um, but I have him at four because Jalen Hyatt, who's at three, had um, an amazing season this year. Bolitnikoff winner. He's very quick, uh, freakishly athletic. Um, I think it can, his speed can translate to the NFL as well. Um, number two and number one are the same for me. Jordan Addison at two. Um, like you said, he replicated his stats at Pitt. Um, he's also very athletic, can make people miss. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he had a great season at USC. Did I cut out for a bit there? Just for a second. Yeah, uh, I don't – sorry, someone called me. Um, but – um, yeah, Jordan Addison at two can make people miss. Very athletic, but I don't think he's as good as Quentin Johnston. Uh, Quentin Johnston's big. Um, he's got a big frame. Can go up and catch the ball. I mean, just off the top of my head, um, he like reminds me of like a Mike Williams in that they're both very tall. Can go up and catch the ball. Um, you know, I mean, I think he's by far the top receiver in the class. Some people might say Jordan Addison is better, um, but I just think you know because of his frame um and how good he is downfield on the deep ball and how athletic he is um he's the number one receiver all right uh for me this is another one that was very tough for me to uh to rate you know a lot of very good receivers in this draft uh so number five for me uh it was so tough but i went with jordan addison you know very very fast very good route runner fantastic receiver you know he's projected to go in the first round but I, I can't really, you know, put anything to, like, say that's, like, bad about him. He's just so good. But the other guys on this list I like even more, you know. He, he caught over 100 passes um, in 2021, put him amazing numbers. You know, he's ranked number two at a lot of, in a lot of uh, ratings. But, 
I have a number number five. Don't think he's a bad player. I think he's fantastic, but I just like the other guys more. And number four, you know, Ryan, you're kind of hating on him, but Jackson Smith in Jigba, or in, I don't know how to say his last name, <laughs> his last part of his last name. Um, I think he's fantastic. You know, he's a nice slot guy. I think he's a playmaker with the ball in his hands. He can also be a bit of a deep threat, and he catches almost everything. I think he can be a fantastic receiver. Like you said, can he be that number one guy? Probably not, at least for the first like three or so years in, his, in the league. I think he'll be a nice like third option on a squad, and I think he can fill that role really well. Um, at number three, I have Jalen Hyatt. I think he's a fantastic receiver. Um, I think he's just one of the fastest players in this draft. He's got a great route running ability. He's, a, once again, a playmaker with the ball. I think he's going to be a special player. Uh, maybe take a will take a few years to develop, but I think you know if if someone like Andy Reid utilizes him well, he could be a, like a monster. Number two, I'm very very high on Tank Dell. I think mm. fantastic receiver in this league, incredible route runner. Ryan was saying he's just always open. He's a fantastic route runner. He's always defenders don't even know how to defend him. He's a great deep threat. He's such a smart receiver. He knows where to be on the field. He's always open. I think he's going to be an incredible receiver in the league. And at number one, I think he might be the best player in this draft. If not, maybe uh, Bijan Robinson. But Quinton Johnston is a monster. He's 6'4", 6'5", around there. He's huge. He's an incredible route runner. He's always open. Uh, he's a deep threat. He catches everything, even if the guy's all over him. He is just so good. He's so fast. I, I don't know what he can't do. I think he's going to be a monster. One of the, I think I won't be surprised if he's one of the best receivers in the league after a few years. I think he is amazing. I can't wait to see what he does in the NFL. So I think we're all done. The uh, the rookie prospects going into the league in this draft. Um, I think over the next few weeks we'll start doing some mock drafts and update them as um, weeks go on. But you guys ready to st um, go into our top ten sports moments we've ever witnessed? I'm ready. I was excited for this moment all week. Me too. Oh yeah, uh, Ryan, you want to go first? Are we are we each going to say our whole list at once, or are we each going to do number ten, then number nine, etc.? Like Let's each do number ten. Okay, so I'm going to give a little disclaimer before I start my list. Okay, two disclaimers actually. Three three disclaimers actually. Wow. Yes. First disclaimer. I excluded moments that I knew were on Brett's list because he, he leaked some of his moments and I wanted to switch it up a little bit. So uh, Warriors versus Cavs Game 7 definitely would have been in my list, but since I know it's on Brett's, I'm not going to put it in. You revealed my list. I revealed one aspect. <laughs> um, so that's why some, some things might be like, where is that at? That's why I didn't include some of those. Uh, second disclaimer. Um... Some of mine aren't specific moments, but rather eras. You'll see what I mean when I say number 10, because that's not a specific moment. Um, and then third disclaimer, um, I kind of base my list not off greatness, but more off personal, personal significance. Um, I remember exactly where I was, what I was doing for all of these moments. Yeah, I often and, well. Yeah, and I remember kind of what impact they had on me and my friends growing up. So I'll go straight into number 10. Number 10, Ball Brothers at Chino Hills. Oh, man. That's a great one. That's a great one. That's a great oh, one. Literally, everybody was tuned in and watching high school basketball. 
I don't think there's been a moment like that since where you could say people were just watching high school. Uh, that was very like, hype. Like consistently like that. Oh. Um, it was just a great era. I think we were in sixth grade. I think it was seven years ago now, yes. which is crazy. I mean, for a public school to have four NBA players and three first-round picks, three out of those four NBA players being brothers is just insane. Yeah. I mean... It was a great era, a great time to watch high school basketball. It was so much fun. The Ball brothers and LeVar Ball, the father, were just the <laughs> spotlight of the media. Everyone was talking about them. Everyone was watching them every single day. You know, you had the storylines like, LeVar says he can beat Michael Jordan one-on-one. And then you had the guys going in and being like, LeVar averaged two points per game in high yep. school. <laughs> <laughs> it was just... <laughs> It was so funny, such a good time. So that's why it comes in at number oh, 10. You, for sure. you just brought back memories for me, like watching like Zion against Lamelo. Yeah. It was just great times. You know, part of me wants to put on the Zion versus Lamelo game on my list, but I'm going to stick with it. Griffin, what was your number 10? So uh, my list is uh, going to be a bit awkward because when you said top 10 sports moments you witnessed live, I thought you meant like actually in person at the game. <laughs> um, but it's still a pretty cool list. Okay. It's still a pretty cool list. Number 10. Um, back in the day when I was a little uh, 11-year-old, I got tickets to go see Clemson, South Carolina, big rivalry game. Um, uh, I don't know if any of you guys know this listening, um, but I used to be a big Clemson fan. Oh, yeah. My dad went there, my uncle went there, my aunt went there. Um, so, uh, towards the end of the game, I, I couldn't really tell you the score, but I remember sitting on the same side as um, Artavis Scott's 70-yard toe-tapping touchdown. He was running along the sidelines, um, got a uh, defender dived at him, and he maintained his balance and literally was doing a grapevine down the sidelines to score. Um, amazing moment for me. All right. Uh, my number 10 is his day. You guys are going to give me some shit for this, obviously. Like, this is more. Sam Bradford, isn't it? No, this is more personal. You know, oh. obviously his career didn't pan out, but Carson Wentz, his first touchdown to Jordan Matthews oh. in the back of the left end zone in week one. <laughs> you know, I know, obviously, Wentz, his career has fallen off due to injuries and other issues in the locker rooms, but seeing that as a. Uh, I believe I was in seventh grade. That was 2016 season. You know, that gave me hope for the future. And that spawned a run of like, a, I think they were, we were three and oh, and everyone was like, Eagles Super Bowl. It was Carson Wentz's rookie year. And it gave me like, it was just very exciting to see the future of the Eagles. And obviously we ended the season at seven and nine, I believe. And we missed the playoffs, but you know, it was just, it was kind of a little foreshadowing into the Super Bowl when we had the year after that. And, it, and that really stuck with me. I remember the exact moment, how hyped up I got. You know, it was a beautiful ball to Jordan Matthews in the corner of the end zone. So that's my number 10. Maybe not be for m- almost everyone in the world, but yeah, it was for me. <laughs> not going to lie, when you said uh, that it was a personal moment and that this guy's career didn't pan out, I thought you were going to say Brett Pinelli High School Basketball. <laughs> no shot. <laughs> Rapidelli Middle School football. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll go into my number nine, which is uh, Kobe dropped 60 in his final NBA game. Mm, that was uh, good. I didn't win that was a great live, moment. unfortunately, but I wish I did. Yeah, I watched that one live. It was sixth grade. I remember my dad let me go into school late the next day because it was like a 10 p.m. tip-off. So mm. I didn't until like 12.30 in the morning. Um, 
So I got to go into school late the next day, and everyone was like, oh, were you up watching Kobe? That's sick. And I was like, yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, we couldn't. Like, It was a really <laughs> good moment. Um, everyone was talking about it for at least a couple weeks afterwards. And then, obviously, I had to put it up there because of the impact that Kobe had on our generation. You know, like, you're throwing a piece of paper into the trash can, yell Kobe. You're shooting yeah. your friend's driveway hoop, you'd yell Kobe. Exactly. Like, those are the things you do from, like, fifth to eighth grade. If you grew up in this generation, so I had to, you know, put a Kobe moment in there, give him a shout out. Um, so yeah, that's my number nine. All right. Well, the, the, this is going to be a bit weird and super not relatable because they're my moments. But um, my number nine, I was uh, I traveled to Washington D.C. with some of my friends this summer to watch uh, just a random baseball game. It was Cardinals Nationals, but luckily it happened to be. Um, Closer towards the end of Albert Poole's retirement, and also it was Juan Soto's fourth to last game with the Nationals. Um, unfortunately, while I was going to get he caught a ball in right field. We were sitting like in one of the first rows in right field, and uh, you guys know Rishi. My friend Rishi was there, and he was like, throw the ball to me. And he looked at Rishi and threw the ball to the guy right next to him. Um, but still a funny moment because I, I got to see Rishi on TV, like on the highlights. So. Oh, I remember that. Oh, yeah, because uh, I put it everywhere. Oh, yeah. So. All right. This is another one. You know, the first few for me are going to be Eagles moments. So um, number nine, Ryan, you're not going to like this one. Sam Bradford to Jordan Matthews touchdown in OT against Cowboys, the <laughs> dagger. And I just remember jumping around my living room seeing that. And just remember, I see Sam Bradford sprinting down the field, throwing his hel- helmet off, hands up. Oh, man, that was so hype. Like, I'm telling you guys, that era of the Eagles, there's just there's there's just something else about it. <laughs> Sam Bradford and Jordan Matthews, man. They were so, like, they're tough, man. Bradford was not bad. I hate the slander on Bradford. He was always hurt. That's why his career didn't pan out. He was hurt. He was one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league. He was leading the Eagles to the playoffs until he got concussed. I'm telling you, man. Great. Not a great quarterback. Very good quarterback. Injuries. All right, you can keep you can keep believing that. We'll let your dreams play on your head. I'll move I'm on to be number a eight. Sam Bradford defender till I die. I'm telling you. But, okay, we're gonna move on. <laughs> to number is, uh, one of two soccer moments on my list, which is probably the only soccer moments on anyone's list because I'm the only soccer fan here. But mm-hmm. still gonna say John Brooks goal for USA against Ghana in the 2014 World Cup is my number eight. I was watching it with like 50 people. Uh, the World Cup, I would say, if you're a soccer fan, is probably the most fun sporting event you'll you'll witness. Um, I'm super excited for 2026. Going to be in games in person. In oh, the yeah, I'm going to those, yeah. Going to be so fun. But anyways, back to this moment. It was like the 82nd minute, one-to-one game. Um, corner comes in. John Brooks, who was 20 years old at the time, very young guy, goes up, heads the ball, scores in front of, you know, a billion viewers. I mean, one-seventh of the world is watching the game, and a 20-year-old kid does that. I think, I mean, we all, people I was watching it with, family, friends, all just went wild. Um, kind of a thing you do in soccer when someone scores, and you get super excited as you, like, splash your drinks around, which gets kind of annoying. Like, you throw them up in the air and stuff. Uh, it could get kind of annoying most of the games, but for that game, it was so electric, so much fun. And that's why I have that one at number eight, and you'll see another soccer moment later in my list. All right, number eight for me. Um, damn, it's, it's weird because now it's like, damn, these, these 
memories are just not as crazy as the ones you guys have because they're personal because I like could not <laughs> the last like six or ten. I was like, damn, I've not gone to that many sports games. Yeah, yeah, I, was um, like, I was confused like damn. You're like, damn, this is so hard. It to took do. me so long to make this list. <laughs> um number eight, uh very random one. Uh me, my grandpa and my dad went to go see the Giants Falcons game back in twenty twenty one. It was Eli Manning's retirement ceremony. Uh, it is the I've been to MetLife a few times. It was the most packed I've ever seen MetLife, um, and the most people I've ever seen standing at MetLife at once uh, when Eli Manning was out there. Even though he had like the most NPC ass retirement <laughs> speech ever, but it's still a really cool nice. moment. Um, number eight for me, Sam Bradford, Sammy sleeves again. Oh my god, Sammy sleeves again leads an upset against the Patriots in 2015. I just remember how hype <laughs> I was. You know, Eagles. Huge underdogs, huge underdogs against Tom Brady-led Patriots. And Sammy Sleeves leads an electric upset. You know, dagger to Jordan Matthews in the end zone. Dagger to Zach Ertz in the back of the end zone. Like, this dude is lighting it up. Malcolm Jenkins, pick six. My family was going crazy, and we won. And that foreshadows how two years down the line, Eagles win against Tom Brady-led Patriots. I just remember that, you know, being a very one of the most fun games watching it that season. You know, but Sammy Sleeves, unfortunately, that'll be the last time he's going to appear on this list. Oh, yeah. Number seven. I think you guys are going to like this one a lot. Um, mm. This brings me back to first semester, fall semester of sophomore year of high school. Mm. It was a great time. I know all of us have uh, said oh, yeah. how much we enjoyed that time. And I think the sports team that I associate most with that time LSU, 2019. Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. Specifically, two games that come to mind. The one game game against Alabama. They won that game 48-43 or 46-41, something like that. High-scoring shootout. Joe Burrow proved why he was a generational prospect. Just absolutely lit it up. That team was so fun to watch. And again... In the national championship game, sorry Griff, where they destroyed okay, Lawrence and Clemson. Hey, destroy? I wouldn't say. Okay, you know what? It was forty-one to twenty-four. I mean, something like that. Forty-two to twenty-five. Forty-two twenty-five. I mean, that game wasn't as fun to watch as the Alabama game, but again, LSU was that team was so exciting. I remember. Unfortunately, Josh couldn't make it on the podcast today. Uh. Uh, if he did, I'm sure he would have reciprocated the story. But <laughs> the day after that national championship game, a video was posted on the ESPN of Joe Burrow smoking that Clemson pack hey, smoking hey, the hey. After, they, after they won that game. And I was just, for some reason, I was so amped up looking at that video. I, would not <laughs> stop, I wouldn't stop talking about it for the whole 30-minute lunch period. I was sitting with Josh and, Josh and a couple other guys, and I literally would not stop talking about it. And then I ended up making a Joe Burrow edit, which is really, I didn't feel like really making it. So what I did right. was I just, I just took the, the clip of him smoking a cigar, and then I compiled it with a whole other highlight video that some other guy made. Like, I oh literally took God. every single clip from him <laughs> and put it into mine. Oh, yeah. It took me like five minutes. It's but... got to be copyright. It was, but it's still up. It hasn't been taken down yet. It's still up on YouTube if you want to go watch it. Um, I'm look it up right now. I remember I put the song Bandit over it by Juice World, And oh my Boy, God. I, that song was super popular around that time. So 
I got the 2019-2020 the LSU Tigers. Wait, I want to look this up. my number seven. Wait, what's your account? Because um, I think I posted it on an account called The Sports Tuber. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Looks like I know I, what I, I'm watching tonight. <laughs> it's like a three-minute and 45-second highlight clip. Wouldn't even call it that because I literally stole everything from this one guy. But it's literally, I remember it exactly. The first clip is Burrow smoking the cigar, I think. And then it pans to a clip of him running out of the tunnel. And then it goes into his game highlights. And the song is Bandit. And I remember making that at lunch. Just being so hyped up because of this LSU team. And, you know, thinking about that team brings me back to sophomore year. Just nostalgic memories. Find this video, man. Griff, why don't you bounce into number seven while Brett's looking? Sure, yeah, number seven. Uh, this was actually back in November, right after I became a brother at the Zeta Psi fraternity here at UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, the day after, actually. Um, it's actually, this is the only one. I, I don't know. You guys might have a hockey one on here. I, I'm not really sure. I, I doubt it. But um, I saw the Canes uh, beat the Oilers 7-2, to and Andre Svechnikov had a hat trick. So after he got the hat trick, everyone took their hats and threw them onto the ice. And it took like 10 minutes to clean off all the hats. So, And apparently they do that for every hat trick. Uh, so that was pretty cool to see in person, even if I was like all the way up in the, you know, the nosebleeds. I just uh, posted the link to that video in the, in the right, chat let's... here. Oh, oh yeah. Ryan, go let check me go check this out. Go check Wait, that out. Go... Oh. Joe Burrow, National Championship Highlights. Bang. Oh, okay. I'm... No, I'm saving it for I'm later. A potato, what the hell? I, I didn't record it. Don't blame me. I stole it from one guy. Blame him. They literally hit, I'm literally subscribing. Other guys, like, uh, like, uh, yeah, it in has the quarter. It has his watermark in the video. I'm, I'm, I just subscribed yeah, to Sports Tuber. I already did. You get, you get a Sean Lee mixtape. There it is. I also just commented as well. What in the? You get a Sean Lee mixtape. My house. I have a Sean Lee. I have an Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, it was a, it was quite a time. All right, so n- my number seven. Uh, no, I, I lied. Sam Bradford. <laughs> no, oh my god! Uh, I was about to say no. Number <laughs> seven. Uh, one of my favorite Super Bowls that I've ever seen live. Uh, Tom Brady, twenty-eight to three comeback in the Super Bowl. So if I had to choose, oh, Griffin didn't like that option. Oh, he's back. <laughs> but if I had to choose. Um, an exact moment from that Super Bowl, it would be Julian Edelman's incredible catch, one of the greatest catches oh, yeah. I've ever seen. I, I genuinely, I, I have no idea how he caught that ball, but seeing Tom Brady slowly come back throughout the course of the second half, it was so entertaining, and the exciting finish in overtime, one of my favorite Super Bowls ever. So that'll be my number seven. You know I have to continue feeding you guys absolute bangers. So at number six, the kick six, Auburn against Alabama. Oh, man. 2013. Even though this was 10 years ago and we were in third grade, I still remember this vividly. I was at a restaurant, um, kind of like sitting near the bar area, but not at the bar. It was a table where you could see all the bar screen TVs, though. Um, and it was that the Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend is when they play the Iron Bowl. So it was that Saturday. We were out at dinner, sick of the Thanksgiving leftovers already. Um, and the Iron Bowl is on TV. And my dad's like, hey, look, uh, Alabama's attempting a long field goal for the win. He knew I kind of 
liked kicking because I played soccer. I was a big fan of some of the kickers in the NFL at that point. So I tuned in the game, and I was like, oh, it would be really cool if he made this kick. But then we all know what happened after that. It was a little bit short. Chris Davis caught it, took it all oh the way back. God, there goes Davis. There goes Davis down the oh, sideline. He's going to win the football game. Yeah, absolutely electric moment that I still remember 10 years later. Just I, I don't think we've seen something, at least in the college game, as electric as that since then. Maybe I'm missing something, but got it at number six. Interesting. My number six, um, this was Halloween of 2021. Wasn't doing anything during the day. Uh, my cousin Lewis, who is a Jets fan, said, hey, why don't we take a trip to, to MetLife to watch Mike White face off against the Cincinnati oh, yeah. Bengals. Um, this is a Jets team that, like, was just not good. Um, and this is the Bengals team that, uh, you know, obviously had a good season. Wasn't I'm pretty sure that was the season they were uh, in the Super Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. Or if not, it was... I don't know. It was 2021. And uh, we, uh, you know, not the greatest seats, but a fairly packed stadium. Mike White came in and threw for over 400 yards, I believe. If over 300. What? Either way, he had a monster game. And no one knew who he was. So we were like, who is this guy? And the Jets ended up winning that game. And while we were walking out for like 15 minutes straight, people were just chanting, Mike White! Mike White! So, uh... Very random, but I thought that was a hilarious experience because it was just like, just so unexpected. Um, so number six for me, very very recent one. Uh, general, I'm I'm gonna kind of kind of mix in one moment and just the entire like kind of like a time, but Phillies run Sam to, Bradford. <laughs> the Phillies run to the World Series is one of the most entertaining seasons of sports I've ever seen. Just the energy in Philadelphia and the good vibes. Um, despite us losing in the World Series, it was still an incredible, incredibly entertaining. Uh, but if I had to choose a, a specific moment from that time, it would be Bryce Harper's home run, two-run homer to uh, take mm -hmm. in the bottom of the eighth. I, I was jumping up and down. Uh, seeing Bryce mm -hmm. Harper's reaction, you know, he's like, he was like saying, did I just do that? Like, he was in shock. Like, it was one of the clutchest moments I've seen, and I, it was just incredible to watch. So, so entertaining. Such a fun team to watch. I can't wait for baseball season to start up. So that's my number six. All right, moving into the top half of the list, number five. Again, I'm sure you guys are going to like it when you hear this. It's going to bring back a lot of memories. How about Zion at Duke? Oh, man. I mean, that man. guy was on social media every single account every single day. For like six straight months. It's insane. I don't think I've ever seen anyone get that kind of media coverage. Like much as did. I hate Duke. Like, absolutely hate Duke. It's fuck Duke week. Duke sucks. Zion Williamson was different in college. I mean... It was just... It was insane. I mean, that guy had a new, insane highlight every yeah. single every, game. Every week. Every day, probably. How about that every one game. time? Remember, you remember that block he had against UVA? Yeah. yeah. He like, at the corner three. He flew from like... 10 feet that away. That was absurd. And then another iconic moment. I, the 360 really highlight. Busting his shoe against UNC. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. So many things to remember. His March Madness game against UCF. His March Madness mm -hmm. game against Michigan State. I mean, there's just so many moments. And there was just so much media coverage. Like, I feel like... Uh, I mean, it, it was ninth grade. We used to sit in the cafeteria every single day before heading up to class. If you guys remember. Mm -hmm. Every single day that I got in the cafeteria, 
poor class during that time. It was literally just Zion. We talked about Zion. Like, mm-hmm. he was sports during that run. And I don't think, I mean, obviously, I'm still a huge college basketball fan. I don't think college basketball has been as popular since that year. That like, and was the peak of CBB. It's going to so take a lot for a player like another player to take the role of Zion in college basketball. Oh, it's going like to take so much. Yeah, it's going to take so much. Mm-hmm. So that's why I got that number mm-hmm. five. All right, my number five also has to do with college basketball. Um, last year, while I was a prospective student before coming to UNC, um, they ended up having a great tournament run last year. I guess you could relate to the era as well, making it all the way to the national championship. Don't want to talk about that last game. But they ended up going to the Sweet 16. Um, we were playing at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia. So me and my dad and my friend Rishi went specifically because both games, which were St. Peter's versus Purdue and then UNC-UCLA. Um, so I got to watch a very hyped-up St. Peter's crowd knock off three-seed Purdue, 15-seed. And I also watched UNC uh, beat UCLA in my first live UNC basketball game. All right. Um, number five for me, <clears throat> one of my favorite um, playoff games I've ever witnessed live. It was the Packers versus Cardinals divisional round game in 2016. And there are so many moments in that game. Uh, just it was incredible. Aaron Rodgers essentially did two Hail Marys at the end of the at the end of regular. Oh yeah. Uh, but if I had to choose one moment, it would be Larry Fitzgerald's um, catch where he went down the field. I think it was about sixty yards. Just ran, broke tackles. That was one of the greatest plays in Larry Fitzgerald's career. It was an absurd game. So entertaining. Carson Palmer led Cardinals and Aaron Rodgers led Packers. It was so exciting back and forth. Ultimately, the Packers won. Great, great game. The Cardinals won. Did that they game, actually? Though. The Cardinals win. <laughs> when Fitzgerald, when Fitzgerald, oh, you're went right. Down yeah, the Cardinals won. He scored the next play. He scored the yeah, next. Yeah, you're play right. I, I completely forgot. Oh my goodness, maybe it should not be on my top ten list. But yeah, Cardinals won. Whoops, <laughs> I, I don't know why I remember that differently. Yeah, Cardinals won. Moving into number four. Um, I'll gladly admit it. I was bandwagon in elementary school. Third, fourth, fifth, mm-hmm. sixth grade. I, I mean, I'm not like Griffin. I'm not a current bandwagon. But I was. I was bandwagon back in third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. That's why, number four, I have pre-Kevin Durant Warriors. Oh, I remember. Oh, man. You were, uh, oh, man. You were, uh, what was your Snapchat name again? Oh, yeah. Curry was my Snapchat name until literally last year because I didn't let you change it until last year. <laughs> I was like a 12th, I was a rising senior trying to pick up girls at the beach. And they'd be like, what's your Snapchat? And I'd be like, Steph Curry 55. <laughs> <laughs> so, Holy Riz. I mean, I have to have that, you know, on my list. So if I had to choose a specific moment from those exciting Warriors teams, how about Steph Curry pulling up from damn near 40 feet against the Thunder yeah. and draining a three? When you, like, think of that, you just hear Mike Breen bang! going, bang, bang. <laughs> It was one of three double bangs that Mike Breen has ever done. Fun fact. Bang, bang. He's only said bang, bang three times, and that was one of them. <laughs> the other one. So that's my number four. The other one of them was Eric Gordon. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> I forget what the third one was, honestly. It wasn't, but it wasn't the uh, LeBron back out to, or Bosch back out to Allen. That one was not a double bang. But the Curry one against the Thunder was a double bang. I remember that game so vividly. 
I didn't watch it live, but just seeing all the replays, I was so excited. Uh, during that time, actually, fifth grade, me and Connor Papard were somehow allowed to sit facing the wall in the corner of the classroom. Like, a, it wasn't a punishment. We asked oh, for that, and we were allowed to somehow, just because we had a goaded teacher. I won't say her name, just because I don't want to say her name publicly. But we had an absolute goaded teacher that year who, who let us do that. So we, we used to talk about the NBA and just sneak our iPods over there and watch NBA nice. highlights. All day long. I was watching the Warriors all day long, so that's number four. All right. Griffin? Interesting, interesting. Mine's another UNC basketball moment. Oh, uh, brother. That's the last one. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> it's from this year when um, UNC, one of uh, our most inconsistent players this year, Skeet Nance, Pete Nance, uh, hit a buzzer beater uh, at, at the Garden against Ohio State to uh, send the game to overtime. We eventually beat them. Um, originally, it was a quad one win for a while, but it uh, doesn't really seem to matter now. We'd have to beat Duke and uh, a tournament run in the ACC to actually make March Madness. Uh, at the time, I was a little bit more optimistic for UNC, um, but that was, that was great to watch in person. I really did not think Pete was going to make it, but he is the mid-range god. So um, that was a great experience to watch in person because I was just chirping a bunch of Ohio State fans. All right. Uh, my number four, one of the most painful moments I've ever witnessed uh, while watching sports. Um, it was the Kawhi Leonard shot against the Sixers. Oh, god damn. Uh, the pain I felt, like, I, I, I didn't even, I looked away from the screen uh, when it went in. But I just remember, shot went up and it hit the rim. And I was like, yes, let's go! On OT! And then I heard my family like, oh, and I was like, wait, what? And I looked and everyone's celebrating on the screen. I couldn't believe it. I was like, no, it just hit the, it, it, it hit the side of the rim. It bounced back. Little did I know, Kawhi Leonard defied physics, all bounced up, hit the rim again, hit the rim again, hit the rim again, and went in. And I saw the replay. I couldn't believe my eye. I, I could not believe what just happened. No way Kawhi Leonard did that. I was in disbelief. Um, despite the pain I felt after, I, I, it was one of the greatest sports moments I've ever witnessed live, and it was the it was one of the greatest one of the great moments in Kawhi Leonard's run that playoff where he ultimately won in the finals with the Raptors. Just incredible moment, and it, even the big reason why it even pains me even more looking back on it is that the Sixers win that game. We most likely would have beat the Bucks, and we most likely would have beat that Warriors team that was destroyed with injuries. So, mm -hmm. you know, it is what it is, but an incredible sports moment. Yeah. I mean, every single Sixers fan knows exactly where they were when that happened. I remember that, uh, that I, didn't watch, I didn't watch most of that game. Um, I was doing homework. I remember it was a super busy day for me. Got a text from one of you guys, I think. Let's turn the game on. It's insane coming down to the wire. So I turned it on right like right as Jimmy Butler hit that layup to tie the game. I mean, like, the only play I saw in that game was the Kawhi shot. It was just so, oh, it was so painful because that eventually leads to us losing Jimmy Butler. Sixers haven't been the same since. Um, so just extremely painful. Every single playoff series since that for the Sixers, 
I mean, okay, let's look. Let's look back. Twenty twenty, you get swept by yeah. the Celtics. Twenty twenty one, lose a heartbreaker to the Hawks. Game seven. Twenty twenty two, lose to the Heat in six. Still mm. have not been to the conference finals. I think right after that shot, even though a Sixers fan would have been heartbroken, they would have said, "Oh yeah, I'll bet a thousand dollars that we at least make a conference finals by 2022." Yep. Still hasn't happened. We're still waiting. And like I said a couple weeks ago, I still don't even think that this year is our year to do it. Just yeah. painful. Anyways, moving into my number three, I have USA beats Iran to progress out of the 2022. That was fire. The reason I have this so high is because, first of all, because the 2022 World Cup was just so good. It's the best World Cup I've seen. Better than 2014, better than 2010. Second of all, I feel like everyone was into soccer during that time. Like Even people who said they hated soccer were like watching mm-hmm. and saying they were hyped up for the games. Uh, it's like, this is the golden generation of U.S. soccer. All of our players are so talented. I think... Um, a 10 out of our 11 starters from this World Cup, under 30 years old. Yep. We have the youngest team in the World Cup, so it just really excites me for the future. And I remember watching that game uh, with so many guys at my uh, college and just all getting hyped up. So I have that at number three. Yeah, I actually, uh, because of the World Cup, started to get a little more into soccer. I wouldn't say I'm that into it now, but it, you know, it prompted me to buy FIFA 23. Um, and I was really invested in that World Cup. That was I had a great time watching those games. Um, a great time watching USA win as well. We watched a lot of the games at the house. Um, and uh, just screamed at the TV the entire time. Uh, my number three was uh, this year I went to the Army-Navy game at my- MetLife again. I don't know why I go to MetLife so much. but uh, Oh, no, no, no. It was in Philly this year. Um, and it is, was the first overtime game in the entire Army-Navy series. And Navy did not have um, any passing yards going into overtime. Um, and they finally completed their first pass in overtime and scored. Um, and then um, Army scored, and I believe Navy scored again. I know, I believe Army ended up winning. But um, somehow, both teams scored more points in overtime, I believe, than they did in the entire uh, first four quarters. Um, very interesting game and uh, history, so... Uh, my number three spot, uh, I remember this vividly. Uh, this is college basketball. March Madness. Villanova, game winner against North Carolina. Okay, okay. That man. was That's... incredible. I <sighs> remember seeing that, and I was like, oh, it's not going in. And he drilled it from... Oh, it was incredible. I don't know why my younger self decided to like spike a football into the wall, because I got so hyped up. I don't know why I did that, but I did. There's like a mark to this day there. Um, you know, there's nothing really else to be said about this. It was just so hype, so clutch. March Madness at its finest. Uh, incredible moment. I'm just so excited for March Madness this year. It's gonna be it's gonna be a great time on the podcast. I'll tell you that. Uh, so, mm-hmm. March Madness this year is gonna be the craziest. Uh, okay, this actually leads me into number two for me. Actually, March Madness this year is gonna be the craziest. Since my number two moment, 2018 March Madness. Mm. That year was a uh, 16 seeded UMBC beat one seeded yeah. Virginia. You also had 11 seeded Loyola Chicago headed incredible. to the Final Four. You also had um, Villanova lifting another national championship, beating Michigan, who, by the way, in that tournament, 
had Jordan Poole's buzzer beater against Houston. Yep. I mean, there's just so many memorable moments. Houston even got to that stage because of their buzzer beater against San Diego State. I feel like there were so many upsets, so many buzzer beaters in that March Madness. It was so much fun to watch. I literally remember um, Loyola Chicago played Miami in the first round. Uh, it was 11 versus 6 game. And Miami was a trendy Final Four pick. Like, I imagine they will be this year, too. But that year, they were a trendy Final Four pick. Loyola Chicago, you know, while some people did have them picking the upset, uh, including me, I had Loyola Chicago to the Sweet 16 that year, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. That game was about, like, a 3 o'clock tip-off. I think it was the fifth game of the day to tip, fifth or sixth. So it was an early afternoon game. It was a Thursday game, first day of March Madness. Everyone's watching. Um, and I just remember that buzzer beater going in, and I just freaked out. Uh, it was probably to this day my favorite college basketball moment is watching that buzzer beater hit because it helped my bracket stay perfect. And it was a huge upset that I picked. I was rooting for Loyola the whole game. You know, it was just a great moment. So I'm super excited for March Madness this year because there's no set favorite um, and there's just nobody that stands out from the rest. So I think it's going to be the best March Madness we've had in five years. Yeah, that was a great tournament. I remember as a Clemson fan, they um, they made their way to the Sweet 16, almost beat Kansas, lost to Kansas by four. Um, that was a good year for that, but a great tournament. My number two, uh, I'm sure you guys are going to like this one. Brett, you actually already mentioned it, um, but I was at the NLCS Game 4 this year, Phillies-Padres, um, back in November. Uh, yes, back in November. And it might be it was October. It probably was October. Um, but in 2022, and um, that was the game where um, Padres went up 4 nothing after the top of the first inning, and I was about ready to leave. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, we were a joke of a team. Um and shortly, we actually ended up leading after the first inning. Um, we scored, I'm pretty sure it was five, maybe six runs. And um, that place was the most electric I've ever seen in a baseball game, but let alone a Philadelphia live game for me alone. That was one of the most hyped sports moments I've ever seen. All right. Uh, for me, my number two. Uh, NBA, one of the most hyped moments I've ever seen. Walked by James. Oh yeah! Versus Cavaliers. Uh, that moment, I remember specifically watching that and freaking out. And that moment on, LeBron has been my favorite player in all of sports, probably. Um, just clutch that was, and not only that, like just that game in general. You know, Kyrie Irving hitting that dagger. LeBron being LeBron. You know, going against that super team that everyone thought was undefe- like you could not beat them. Warriors, you know, with Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson. It just felt monumental, and it was just a very special moment that LeBron was able to bring that championship to Cleveland. It just, it was genuinely one of the best sports moments ever, and I'm just so happy that I was able to watch that live. Incredible moment. I remember, like, making highlights for that that night on YouTube, and I posted them, and I kept refreshing and seeing the views. Like, I was so hyped up. Uh-huh. You know, that's my number two incredible moment for me. All right, number one, Dak Prep. No, I'm kidding. Um, ironically so. enough, the Cowboys. Uh, ironically enough, the Cowboys are a part of this moment. Mm. Not, not on the other end of it, Odell Beckham Jr.'s oh. catch. Number oh man, that's a good just, one. Just, just in terms of influence, I mean, 
you would throw football for the next like Odell. seven, like next five years. You'd be like, yo, bro, Odell me, Odell me. You catch a ball, you'd be like Odell. Like, come on, like so much influence yeah. over us as that generation. I think this catch happened in 2015 or 2016. Wasn't it? Wasn't it uh, um, I think it was maybe even 2014. 2014. Maybe even 2014. I was watching the game, so I actually the create. Okay. You guys are gonna be calling me LeBron in a second, but <laughs> I I was watching that game with I was watching that game with my dad, and they were showing Odell Beckham Jr. in in warmups. Oh this was, man, this was his yeah, rookie I think he's season. Do something today, and no, I I didn't say that he was gonna make that catch. Okay, but I was looking at him, and I was just it was the first time he, my first time hearing of him. Again, I was like a young kid. He was a rookie. I didn't really know much about college football back in those days, so I didn't know any of the prospects. It was like an early game in the season, so cut me some slack for not knowing it. But um, I was watching the world, so I was like, this guy is fantastic. Like, this guy is about to cook Morris Claiborne and Barry Church. Morris Claiborne and Barry <laughs> Church. He was about, I was like, this guy's about to cook them. <laughs> and sure enough, he did, including that spectacular catch. I'm sorry, but people that sang the Justin Jefferson catch is better than that don't oh, know no. ball. They don't know ball. I saw some. some some people even dared to say that George Pickens' catch was better. What Are you the... kidding me? That, that's just ridiculous. That's the best catch I've ever seen. And it literally led to like five to six consecutive years of people saying, Odell me while playing football. That's mm-hmm. my greatest moment, simply because it was just so influential on our generation. Yeah. Very valid. Um, again, mine is not really relatable. Uh, and to no surprise, my list starts and ends with Clemson. Uh, I had the opportunity to travel to the national championship in 2016 to watch Clemson rematch Alabama, uh, the same match as the year before when my dad uh, got to watch them lose 45-40 to to uh, Derrick Henry's led Alabama. Um, in Tampa Bay, uh, had terrible seats, um, but expensive nonetheless just because it was the college football national championship. Uh, watched Jalen Hurts, actually. Uh, face off against Mr. Massage Man Deshaun Watson, and um, obviously, I'm sure you guys know that game ended uh, last. Well, basically, the la- well, the last offensive play of the game, essentially, besides the kneel. Uh, Deshaun Watson goes out right, throws it to Hunter Renfro. Clemson wins their first national championship in 35 years, and uh, I started crying, and so did my nice. dad. Great, great moment. My number one moment. You guys will not believe this. We're gonna go back to 2011. When I first started getting into sports, the NBA All-Star Game, Justin Bieber drops eight points and is named the All-Star MVP. <laughs> <laughs> no way. We, all know it's, we all know it's Eagles Super Bowl. Yeah, Eagles Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. I knew that. <laughs> that entire game was the greatest night of my Bieber. life. It was one of the greatest nights of my life. Just going into the entire game, like I said, you know, Sammy Sleeves, that he foreshadowed this years earlier, beat the Patriots in 2015, he exposed them. Like, we could beat these guys, and we did it. We did it. Uh, you know, that year was special. Carson Wentz, Nick Foles, out of everyone, Nick Foles wins us the Super Bowl. Uh, LeGarrette Blunt, Jay Ajayi, uh, Alshon Jeffrey, Nelson Aguilar, Torrey Smith. The team was special. Incredible defense. Malcolm Jenkins, Fletcher Cox, all of these guys. Chris Long. What a year. So many great moments in that Super Bowl. Uh, 
no question. Like, there was so many good moments. You know, Zach Ertz, that um, catch on fourth down, was, that got me so anxious. That probably won the game. Brandon Graham strip sack on Brady. But the one moment that really outshines them all, without any sh- like without a surprise, is uh, the Philly special. Trey Burton throws the touchdown to Nick Foles in the right, uh, like in the end zone. Is just oh man, incredible, incredible, incredible moment. I'll never forget that. Just the reactions of the entire room was my favorite Super Bowl moment of all time, without a doubt. So, yeah, we're all done. Look at that. Man, Look at that. Almost, wow, we went Almost a two-hour podcast. Oh, my goodness. I don't think I'm going to put um, clips on this one. It's a, it would probably take, like, 20 hours to render dead ass. Like, yeah. I'm going to probably put, like, a moving logo or something. or I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'll figure it out. But um, that will... Without like having the clips in there, once we do it in person and like have it recording, it's going to solve all of our problems. But um, I hope you guys enjoyed this one. I know this is a bit of a longer one. I really enjoy talking about the moments and like ranking the college players. But hope you guys have a nice day. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I'll see you guys. See you around. Peace.